Welcome to Standing in Her Power Global. I am your host, Penny Sophocles. In this podcast, I speak to unique and interesting women to hear their stories and their individual approaches to life and work. Each one offers living examples of how women are evolving our society for the better. They demonstrate what they can do, you can do too. Hello, my name is uh, Penny Sophocles and welcome to another Standing in Her Power interview. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking with Mary McIntosh, the General Counsel for Gowling's WLG, a top 50 global law firm. And welcome, Mary. Thank you very, very much for your time today. Very happy to be here, Penny. Thank you. So, Mary, you're really obviously at the top of your game and have achieved a great deal in your life to date. I suppose I'd like to start with perhaps when you were younger, perhaps in your teens, did you have at that time any kind of projections about what you wanted your life to be and how you wanted to express yourself? Well, that's a good question. Interesting question. So when I was younger, my aspirations, so in my kind of teenage years and early 20s, my aspirations were all related to sporting achievement. So I didn't at that stage have a career thought apart from pursuing sport at the highest level, which is a very interesting early start compared to where I am now. So my early aspirations were all sporting, which actually I think has served me very well because I think some of the lessons you learn in sport are very happily transferable to a business environment. But it's interesting that you use the term sporting at the highest level, okay? So it's like mediocrity was never on your screen, right? No, <laughs> had to be... well, I was very successful at being mediocre at sport, I have to say. Um, <laughs> but I guess one of the things that still continues to drive me is I don't think I really achieved my potential. So I've now transferred that drive into my career. Right, right. But still, it was interesting that your motivation was to operate even in sport at the highest level. So in what arenas of sport did you attempt this? Well, I've played almost every sport, but I was a swimmer until really I was 16, retired um, from swimming at 16. And that sounds unusual, actually, but it wasn't that unusual then because swimming was treacherous in terms of the commitment and the pressure it put on you. So what used to happen is you found that people were pretty burnt out by the time they got to 16, which was, I guess, my story. But uh, fortunately for me, I was achieving a reasonable amount of success at field hockey so I stopped swimming and focused on field hockey. Right right okay and what kind of levels of achievement did you make in sport and what made you decide okay I've had enough now I'm going to look elsewhere? Well reasonably I guess reasonable levels of achievement but nothing you know I never made international I never made an Olympic I competed internationally in terms of university hockey. You know, I had other degrees of success in other minor sports, but nothing major. Right. I spent some time coaching, actually, where I probably had a little bit more success. 
So what made me really think, well, it's the inevitable pressure and realisation that you're not going to make a full-time lasting career out of sport or you don't want to. So that was a pivotal moment for me. And I must confess, maybe almost hazardly decided to be a lawyer. That's the best description for it. Um, In that I thought, well, I like debating. I like communicating. I think I'm reasonably clever. So I did a sort of test, what I would call a test a year of law exams and um, surprising to everybody, nobody more so than me, I did well in those for whatever reason. So I'd like to say my career was all mapped out before me with huge scrutiny and planning, but it wasn't. I fell into it, I was very good at it initially and I think anything that I'm good at inspires me, so I decided to keep going. Yes. Um, So it wasn't that strategic, I'm afraid. Right. But getting into law was something that you decided and you made it happen. And were you always in one firm or did you sort of move around in terms of getting yourself established as a lawyer? Well, I trained with one firm and then, I mean, I've worked for three law firms, which actually is not so unusual now. So I've worked for three law firms. I trained with one, got an opportunity with another, and it was always driven by wanting to do corporate finance and the best opportunities I could obtain wanting to do corporate finance work. Right, right. So as you kind of experienced the law and were involved in different law firms, did your idea of success change and evolve? I guess I always wanted to be successful in that arena whatever that looked like Mm. so for me that looked like and it's it's different for everybody but for me that meant doing corporate work rightfully or wrongfully that was seen as the kind of attractive work to do the exciting work to do um interesting gender point there because there weren't many corporate and uh, it'd be interesting to look at the gender analysis of women doing corporate work because it was always seen as the engine room of law firms probably still is yeah so that was the driver that's what success looked like and then success to me looked like well I want to be an equity partner but I guess one of the things that maybe characterizes my personality for good or for bad is I have kept changing what success looks like so when I achieve it okay I'm going to shift my goalposts a little bit (laughs) So when I was an equity partner, I thought, well, what now? What now? And the what now for me was, I guess, to make what was a controversial decision at the time to at least step sideways. So step sideways and step up into a GC role. So equity partner, then it was, okay. I want to be a GC now. Yeah. So you became an equity partner with Freeze. Is that right? right, how, How long did that take you? What was that journey like? It didn't take me very long. But all credit to Freeths were very driven by success rather than age in the job. So I became a partner in 2008. Um, I was an equity partner in 2013. Wow. Okay. So five years is pretty good going to move from a normal. And what about your journey in terms of starting as an associate? to becoming partner how long did that journey take because I think you know for younger people today I don't know if the track record is so well established whether it's slow or fast that you made it yeah Uh, and slow and fast is sometimes determined by the economy 
you might think it's determined about how good you are, but actually the economy is an important driver. So if firms are making loads and loads of money and the market is good, then you'll progress quickly. Yeah. Um, so my journey from qualified, so I qualified in 1999. And so I became a partner in 2008. Right. Yeah, pretty sure. So again, that's pretty fast, nine years. Yeah, not fast enough by my impatience. <laughs> but right. And the thing I would say there, though, is actually one thing I not regret, that's too strong a word. And I say this to people now, but I was in such a rush when I was younger. All I cared about was moving forward fast. Um, question, did I take enough time to just pause and reflect and enjoy what I was doing right there and then? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with someone who I was coaching this morning who had just won a fantastic opportunity and it's like, he looked worried. And I said, well, hang on a minute. Have you taken any moment? You know, what are your plans for actually celebrating? What, what, what are you saying? We have to celebrate? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so actually, you know, taking the time to actually appreciate the moments of achievement can be sometimes overlooked. Do you look back on it now and think, well, actually, I wish I had enjoyed it more? Yeah, I do, I do. And I always tell the story of when I was named in the lawyer Hot 100. I think that was 2010, and that was a big deal. Right. It was a big deal because I wasn't in one of the Magic Circle firms, and I wasn't at the time based in London, so it was a big deal. And actually, it was quite a sad night for me, really, because you have this vision of success and how fantastic that will be and how incredible that will be when it happens. And somehow, when it happens, there's this kind of like, well, is that it? <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Um, and I guess I use that to drive me more in a sense. But yeah, taking your time is important. And I, I don't think I ever took my time. Yeah. If you've learned the lesson about actually appreciating and what, you know, the achievements that you make, what would have appreciating and enjoying the time look like from your vantage point now? Yeah. Um, I mean, probably just being more comfortable in the success I had at the time and less insecure, if I'm honest. Mm. So in time to relish and enjoy where you are, and instead of thinking, actually, this could be taken away from me any moment, <laughs> <laughs> which is how I've always kind of operated, just enjoy it and think, wow, you've come this far. And this is great. You've achieved more than you ever thought you would achieve. So it's taking the time and enjoying the people and maybe making a little bit more space for your private life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rather than maybe being driven by work. Personal sacrifices. And then again, Mary? Maybe making fewer personal sacrifices. You know, I do reflect on very, very significant events in my life where I wasn't there. I wasn't part of those events and that was all about and to a degree remains about success. Right. Were you physically not there or were you there but actually in yourself you weren't present to them? Both. Both. So there was very significant events in my life that I could not attend. 
believe it or not. Yeah. In my mind, by the way, this wasn't anybody else pressurizing me. So significant events I didn't attend and significant events and holidays I did attend. But for all intents and purposes, there was no point in me being there. Because <laughs> mentally I was somewhere else. So um, <laughs> I've got a few examples of those holidays. Yeah. Not present at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I did look back on that with a little bit of regret. But you can't have it both ways, you know. I think sacrifices are important. There's a balance that you need to achieve. And I probably haven't always achieved that balance. But, you know, the one thing that you can control is the commitment that you give to any role. And I've always, it's a bit like looking at sport. The one thing you are in control of, you might not be in control of how tall you are or how clever you are, or if you're a swimmer, how big your feet are, but you're in control about how much commitment you give to it yeah yeah and it's easier in a funny kind of way to give more commitment to the role and to external requirements than actually to give a commitment to one's own life yeah that's true is that strange yeah yeah it is Um, I wonder whether that is a gender thing you know I wonder whether drive to impress to make a difference, to kind of achieve things is something that as women we feel more urgent about rather than actually being present to whatever time we have in whatever role. Well, I mean, talking about gender equality, let's be clear here. <laughs> we still operate in a world where men generally are more successful than women and that isn't always about ability. Um, things are an enormous amount better than they were. Progress is rapid, but we still operate in a world where just by the very nature of your gender, you are more likely to succeed. Yeah, I know. And that's why we're having these conversations, because I just think that's outrageous. You know, in the context of the last 10,000 years, you know, men have ruled society and business and politics and everything. And women are really only in the last 100 years that we've had the vote let alone, you know, been able to operate successfully in business. So, you know, we have a long, long way to catch up. And certainly women of our generation have moved the most in terms of where we started out and where we are today. But I can only hope that people who are, you know, starting their careers today, you know, who are in the sort of 20s, can even make, you know, a more huge journey to kind of close that equality gap, because there is a huge gap to close. Yeah, I mean, having said that, I do think a lot of law firms in particular are doing some really good work in this space. Mm -hmm. They're doing some really good work and um, the application of the Mansfield rule in terms of gender equality and making sure opportunities are fair for all Mm -hmm. uh, is on the agenda. There's no question about that. Um, Is that something that you're experiencing currently in your current role at Gowling's? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, as you would expect, of course, there's a lot of good work going on in terms of uh, not just gender equality, but diversity and inclusion generally. And uh, I feel a very strong um, impetus in change. You know, things are cyclical. I think now is a very important time for any diversity and inclusion gender. Do you feel that in your role, you're able to kind of pioneer those initiatives and that change agenda? I wouldn't say pioneer because, of course, as a general counsel, the the essence of my role is independence. 
-hmm. you know that is the essence so I must be seen as somebody who's able to take an impartial and independent view on anything Mm -hmm. and so I think the pioneering work is done by other senior leaders in the business but what I can certainly do is add credibility and weight to it sure one as a woman two as a lesbian woman three as somebody I guess who didn't come through a typical middle class I guess privileged background Mm. so I can certainly be a role model and I can certainly challenge and push thinking yeah yeah in some respects when you come from the non middle class backgrounds and you're having to graft your way through into the high echelons of business and the law today it's like you've made a huge huge journey and probably younger women today won't make as huge a journey yeah it depends who those young women are I mean I see young women who are coming through the system but I mean it is an issue for a lot of the professions where if you've less so if you've been to the right school and you talk the language then you naturally are perceived as fitting in. So that's a more difficult adjustment for people, I guess, who haven't had that privilege and background. Yes. Again, you're having to do more and shine brighter and work harder because you're not part of the per se club. But again, what I would say is in law firms, certainly my experience in all of the law firms I've worked in, fortunately, I think people are moving that agenda forward and really thinking good things about it. Sure. I know that you had a spell when you moved out of the partnership at Freight. You had that spell at Travis Perkins as the head of corporate services at Travis Perkins. I would imagine that you had a lot of men around you. How was it being a woman, a lawyer in that kind of environment? What impact did you feel that you were able to have? Yeah, that was interesting. And actually, again, credit to Travis Perkins, although, you know, it's building materials. So it is almost all men. Men. Um, That business is not alone in many ways in thinking what really matters is what you're delivering and what you're bringing to the table, irrespective of gender or any other aspect. So my experience there actually was a very positive one, like everywhere. You're visiting aggregate sites or whatever you visited quarries or rather with Travis Perkins um, building yards and it's a very male environment so as a woman you're constantly I think you have to be quite mercurial (laughs) to learn the skills to fit in now again fortunately you know I grew up in a big family quite male dominated so I've got three brothers and I've played sports so it makes me actually quite at ease in that environment where some people aren't. So I probably don't have to work as hard as some other women. Right. But you felt that you had to be mercurial as a quality in order to adapt. I mean, this is like, in some respects, it's the classic immigrant quality that people need to actually adapt and mimic and imitate the people around them. I distinctly remember adjusting my accent to the upper middle class when I went to university, you know, from being a very Cockney style accent when I lived in Paddington. So, you know, you do learn. And did you feel that you're constantly having to do that even today? All the time, all the time ticking and checking so that I don't sound too Scottish or, you know, I don't resort to 
I guess, you know, the language that I used at school, um, all the time ticking and checking on every level. Yeah. Uh, I think women do that. I do think men do that, of course. It's not just an issue for women. But in order to fit in, in order to, because so much of what we do is about relationship building, mm. to learn all of these very soft skills that, that effectively make you very likable. I don't know how my colleagues might say I've had zero success in being likable, but <laughs> I'm sure that's not true, Mary. Nevertheless, I do keep trying. So <laughs> it's that magical likability. And as we know from every psychologist on the planet would say you're drawn to people who are just like you. Yes. A fundamental flaw in the workplace. You should be drawn to people who are not like you at all. Yeah. Well, you know. When you're enlightened, you, that's definitely the way you would think about it. But actually, that's not a lot of the ways that people actually do do, do yeah. think about that. Interestingly enough, you make the point that actually, as women, they do, you know, being likable is actually something that women constantly are craving for and adjusting themselves and manipulating themselves in order to be likable. But I don't think men do as much, if at all. In fact, you know, men often are very unlikable and still very successful. Have yeah. you found that? Well, I mean, again, if you're in the workplace, if you're quite a bullish, assertive woman, that's interpreted or can be, not always, that's interpreted differently to a bullish, assertive man. Yes. So, you know, there's always that challenge, isn't it? Qualities that are admired in men are often not admired in women so you don't quite play on a level playing field and you have to use all these mercurial skills to influence in a way that some men don't have to mm. influence that yeah can I ask you you know what has surprised you most about your career mm. Well, probably that I've been successful at all is a surprise, really. Um, you know, I've always had self-belief, but, you know, really would I have um, given the feedback I got at Peterhead Academy in the northeast of Scotland? Well, one, would anybody have put me as somebody capable of even taking hold of these opportunities? So the fact that I've achieved any success at all is a surprise. I think the biggest surprise for me, though, is... It's not always as, not glamorous, that's not the right word, but it's being at the top, whatever that means, whether that's an equity partner or a GC or, you know, an HR director, what, however you assign your badge, your success as, when you get there, it's not really as good as you ever think it is. <laughs> it's just not, that people are not as clever as you think they're going to be and it's not as exciting as you think you're gonna, it's going to be. The vast majority of jobs you know entail a lot of quite dull hard work yes there's an awful lot of complex issues that you deal with very subtle issues that you have to deal with so it's not the holy grail that everybody thinks it's going to be yeah including oneself <laughs> yeah absolutely you know the, the hard drive and efforts that one puts in when you get there doesn't actually match the anticipated yeah. outcome that you were expecting if know what you know, would you go back and still do the same thing or would you do something differently? Yeah, it's a really good question. A really good question. Because I love what I do genuinely. You know, I don't love all of it. Nobody does. Mm. Um, but there's a huge proportion of it I love. You know, in lockdown, I've missed the office. 
I want to be back in the office. I want to be stuck on a tube trying to get home on a Friday night. And all those things that I really love give me a kind of adrenaline buzz. Would I go back and change? I'm not really. Some decisions I would change. I'd approach certain critical points in my career slightly differently. But massively, would I do something different? I wouldn't, no. No. I mean, I would have loved to have um, achieved huge sporting success and retired at 30 and just ended up doing sort of commentary or chatting on shows about retired athletes. That would have been ultimate, but I never got anywhere close to that, so this will (laughs) do. Excellent. Excellent. Looking on your career now, though, is there anything that you're really disappointed in, you know, disappointed in yeah I mean I guess and again this touches on fairness so when you're in sport most sports which is why I like my real love is sort of individual timed sports Mm -hmm. because you know if you use the analogy if you run the 100 meters the fastest you get the gold medal it doesn't matter who you are where you are what your upbringing is if you run it the fastest that's it you win And I think the difference between sport and life or career is that that's not always the case, that, you know, the brightest people don't always rise to the top. And by the way, I'm not saying I am the brightest by any stretch of the imagination, because I don't think I am. But it's more of a soft, I was going to say political, but that's too harsh. It's more subtle. So quite often you do have scenarios where, success is so subjective how much of it have you controlled I'm not sure yeah Uh, I think the world of business is interesting now because what will that look like going forward so I think for our generation you were able to control an awful lot in terms of how much how hard you worked I think the world of work is changing so that to such an extent with the introduction of you know AI technology different ways of working rightfully so focus on health and well-being that I suspect in 20 30 years time it'll be unrecognizable and we'll all be Mm. sort of um, dinosaurs in terms of our methods and approach right yeah I think that's the very interesting perspective to think about actually our experience of work will be very very different you know if technology and AI come more and more into what we do and it's like who are we then and what is our contribution into the arena of work or business when we're not actually you know being the clever one yeah absolutely I mean you might say that in law firms actually people who are doing the extremely complex technical work there will always be a need for that Mm. because of course no matter how clever robots or artificial intelligence is they can't argue your case in court, for example. Right. But I do see a very changing sound in that a lot of relatively um, straightforward tasks can easily be automated. Yeah. Then the question becomes, how do you get from being a junior lawyer to a senior lawyer if there's all of those tasks have kind of been eliminated? Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. How do you add value? by being who you are or what you're bringing to the table in that process. Yeah, that's going to be a very interesting challenge, isn't it? There's another interesting point, I think, about changing views on how you focus on your career. And, of course, Mm -hmm. all views are absolutely valid. 
the reason why a lot of people progress and medicine's a good analogy to law the reason why people progress very very quickly is because they're working very very long hours in some situations so whilst you're working long hours you're learning quicker mm. and i understand that there's the same challenge in medicine where actually there's a lack of talent coming through because people are developing more slowly because they are working less hours Mm. Um, now to be clear this isn't a pitch for me to say we need to carry on working the hours that maybe you or I might have done Penny but I think it's an important point to recognize that in the culture of making sure people balance their lives and their work properly they will be working fewer hours and a consequence of that might be that people develop more slowly Mm. Unless you're taking the issue of medicine, so much of medicine is now going to be incorporated into machine and machine learning and knowledge that actually you don't need to be clever because the machine is going to tell you based on the fact of, you know, these hundred symptoms that you're telling me, this is what's wrong with this person. And so it's like, you know, what is the skill set when actually you're not doing that evaluation anymore? You're doing something different. Absolutely. And what is that different thing that you're going to be doing? So the same thing with a lawyer. It's like, okay, so you've got these 3,000 things that actually need to be taken into account in this consideration on this case. So here's the answer. And it's like, okay, so what's the lawyer going to do? Yeah, it's fascinating times. Yeah, it is a fascinating time. Yeah. So if I was to say to you, so you're not quite at the end of your career, you know, you've still got... Uh, not quite a year, quite, Penny. No. Miles <laughs> away from the end of But you're certainly at quite a pinnacle, having uh, made a fantastic journey so far. What would you say are your, like, top achievements? What are you most proud of? Oh, what am I most proud of? I think being part of, uh, you know, I always reflect in being part of a deal that Lafarge did concluded 2013 or 14 can't remember you know I was very very proud to be involved in that not just because I worked with uh, Carl Jansen at Freed's he's an exceptional operator from a corporate perspective but also the deal itself was massively challenging Mm -hmm. in terms of being away from home commitment lack of sleep and the technical difficulties of it the people involved So for me, that has to be an absolute shining light. I was over the moon to be listed in the lawyer, the hot 100, really. And since then, my successes have been, I guess, less obvious and softer. You know, building teams of people has become very, very rewarding, you know, seeing people succeed. So rather than your own successes, it actually does genuinely become about watching other people succeed creating the the team at Gowlings the the in-house team at Gowlings is enormously rewarding and just you know influencing the changing culture in terms of risk management right 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 but long story short I think the the demands of the Lafarge job really was extraordinary I don't know how we all did that and got through it yeah right but it sounds like from what you're saying, it's, it's like it's moved from being the clever technical challenges to actually the inner rewards of your time at Gowling seems to be a bit of an evolution, you know, from the sort of technical difficulties and the challenges and meeting those challenges and, you know, rising up in one's own capabilities to meet that is one thing, but actually 
the inner rewards and the fulfillment that comes from actually helping others, there's a different quality to that. Is that right? Yeah, there is, there is. And that's not just, yeah, helping others, supporting others, being very much part of, I mean, I've always been part of teams one way or the other, whether it's, you know, m teams or in-house teams. Mm. But I think as my roles have changed, it becomes more about what the team success looks like for the whole team. For the whole. Brilliant. Okay. So this is my last question to you, which is that if you were to offer, let's say, three pieces of advice or guidance for women that were at the beginning or the mid-career, what would they be? Oh, that's a really good question. So what would I say? A piece of advice, number one, is make sure you stand your ground, mm-hmm. which I don't think all women are good at doing. Make sure you stand your ground. What does that look like? What, what do you mean by that? And meaning, you know, we all talk about women are less vocal in meetings. Women are less vocal about salary reviews. Women are more accommodating. And sometimes that can mean that your views aren't properly heard. So stand your ground. Also, I think, be confident. I do think that inherently women generally are less confident. Now that's changing, but be confident. Um, because the skill sets I see, you know, a lot of young women are so talented, so extraordinarily talented. So be confident, hold your ground, be confident. And actually, the last thing I would say to people is just believe that things are changing because they are, they are changing. And believe that. Don't go down the road of the, or the thought process of thinking you're fighting a battle that's pointless. Right. It isn't pointless. You know, if it was pointless, you and I wouldn't be sitting here, Penny. And the progress on gender equality issues alone over the past 50 years have been staggering. Mm. So those would be the three things I would say. Right. You use the term, don't believe that the battle you're fighting is not worthwhile or it's not working. Is that how you feel that actually you have been fighting a battle and Should women be gearing up to be engaged in a battle? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Is it a battle? Maybe that's not a word some people would use. It's certainly a challenge. The challenges that women face are different to the challenges men face. In the same way, the challenges that other minority groups face are not the same. And I think you need to have it on your radar and be aware the, the reason why I use the word battle is it's about optimism and feeling it's worthwhile. Yeah. And I guess one comment would be that I think a lot of people, a lot of women or a lot of minority groups do get a little bit weary about change. Is it really going to change? And you see that through the Black Lives Matter movement. You see that in all areas of diversity and inclusion. And as people naturally get older, you know, the activists that we might have been in our 20s, that passion ebbs away. And I think we've all got a responsibility in the diversity and inclusion equality space to keep that passion to want to influence change. Brilliant. 
I think that's a great sentiment. I totally agree with that. You know, I think it's really important that we don't get cynical and it's really important that we don't feel victims of the situation. However difficult the challenges are, you know, we're going to meet those challenges and there are ways forward. We have made a great way forward already and women as they're younger will be making more ways forward. That's a very good note to end on. So thank you very, very much for your comments. It's been fascinating talking to you and I hope we can do it again. Yes, thank you very much for the opportunity, Penny. I'm very grateful for it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Standing in Her Power Global. What has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation? Please join our Facebook group to give us your feedback and engage in the discussions there. Share this episode with others who may be interested. Thank you for listening and we'll meet again in the next episode of Standing in Her Power Global.